word of Jehovah came again unto me, saying, Thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah and for the children of Israel, his companions. Then take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. And join them for thee one to another into one stick, that they may become one in thy hand. When the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Wilt thou not show us what thou meanest by these? Say unto them, Thus saith the Lord Jehovah, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, the tribes of Israel, his companions, and I will put them with it, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick. They shall be one in my hand. And the sticks whereon thou writest shall be in thy hand before their eyes. And say unto them, Thus saith the Lord Jehovah, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the nations, whither they are gone, will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. Shabbat Shalom and welcome. I'm Ross, and this is our Saturday morning scripture study. Thank you very much for joining me today. If you are with me live, if you are watching me live today, I want you to join me in a Zoom immediately after this class. You'll be redirected. Also, if you're not, if you're watching this and you're not watching me live, then you just have to come in next time at 1030 on Saturday mornings Ross K. Nichols TV, and you can be part of our um, part of our online live audience, and you can participate in that Zoom. So today, I wanted to continue what I began in a previous class. It's a standalone class, but it goes well with the previous class because in the previous class, I talked about the biblical mandate for Israel that God gave Israel the place, the land of Canaan, to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God assigned this special group of people a land flowing with milk and honey, a good land. He assigned other lands to other people, but as far as this particular land, made it very clear that it was for the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The boundaries are given for this land in the Pentateuch. You can find them in Numbers chapter 34, verses 3 through 12. It's also found in the book of Joshua in chapter 15, uh, verses 1 through 12. And it's also in Ezekiel chapter 47, verses 13 through 20. This land described very clearly even the borders thereof being defined as belonging to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, a part of an oath. Biblically, 22 times it describes an oath that God made with the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. 
It even goes so far as to say very literally that God raised his hand and swore this land in an oath to this particular people. Not only that, but this land becomes an integral part of the covenant. It is, it is one of two things listed as the heritage or the possession of the children of Israel. The uh, one, uh, the land is mentioned in Exodus chapter 6, verse 8, and the Torah that he gave is in Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 4. Both of these are called the Morashah, what is a possession of the children of Israel. Going into the land to receive the land is actually one of two reasons that God uh, brought Israel out of Egypt. We read this in Leviticus chapter 25 and verse 38. It says that the two reasons are this. He brought them out of Egypt to give them a land and to be their God. This all goes together to form the foundation of the covenant between God and Israel. But Israel failed to uphold the high standards required and put forth in the instructions that God gave to his people. Israel failed to meet and, and to, uh, uh, to hold that level of standard. And ultimately, in 722 BCE, the Assyrians took the northern tribes, the northern kingdom of Israel, captive. In 586, the Babylonians took the southern kingdom, the kingdom of Judah, captive. Now, there was a partial return, as many of you know, um, uh, mostly Judeans, and that took place uh, during the Persian period, roughly 539-538 BCE. But that, that return, that partial return, it's prophetic, that was because of the words and work of the Messiah. That's right. This is a Hebrew Bible class. We're going to begin. We're going to begin by talking about a messianic mandate, the words and work of a Messiah, and these words, I believe, should be preached from the rooftops today, because I believe what I'm about to share, the words of the Messiah that brought back a partial return will be uttered again, will be spoken again, and will ultimately lead again to a second wave, another wave. Not a second necessarily, because we've had quite a few waves. But the work of the Messiah at that time, which uh, preceded this partial return, I want you to go with me to Isaiah chapter 44. I want you to go with me to Isaiah the prophet Isaiah chapter 44, and we're going to read beginning in verse 28, Isaiah 44, in the last verse of that chapter, that saith of Cyrus, in Hebrew it's Koresh, he is my shepherd and shall perform all my pleasure, even saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built and of the temple thy foundation shall be laid. Thus saith Jehovah to his anointed, to his Messiah, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have holden, 
to subdue nations before him. And I will loose the loins of kings to open the doors before him. The gates shall not be shut. I will go before thee and make the rough places smooth. I'll break in pieces the doors of brass and cut in sunder the bars of iron and so forth and so on. This is God speaking about his Messiah. Very clearly, it is the one clear reference, God speaking, to a Messiah which is his, his Messiah. Now, a lot of times people, uh, particularly uh, Tanakh-based people, will define what it is that the Messiah must do. And they'll go through various uh, texts and various, uh, I guess, uh, Jewish theories and ideas about who is the Messiah, whose son will he be, and so forth. But this case is unique, and it's the one example that we're given. God calls a Persian, a Persian, uh, his Messiah. Now, the words of this Messiah are very important. I think that these words in your Bible ought to be somehow set apart. I don't know if they shouldn't be red-lettered. Somehow, some way, the words of this Messiah, again, should be shouted from the rooftops, should be maybe put on uh, posters and in, in, in frames and put throughout your homes. Because listen, I think that they, they are very important. Look with me at 2 Chronicles chapter 36. 2 Chronicles chapter 36, and I want to go to verse 22. Now, in the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of Jehovah by the mouth of Jeremiah might be accomplished, Jehovah stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom and put it also in writing, saying, Thus saith Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth hath Jehovah the God of heaven given me, and he has charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whosoever there is among you of all his people, Jehovah his God be with him, and let him go up. I'm going to read that last part one more time. Whosoever there is among you of all his people, Jehovah his God be with him, and let him go up. Let me tell you something. I believe that this proclamation, this proclamation, not only did it at the time it was first spoken, not only did it mark the fulfillment of the 70 years of Jeremiah, uh, Jeremiah chapter 25 and verse 11 and Jeremiah chapter 29 and verse 10, in the days of Jeremiah, as the biblical period in Judea, the kingdom of Judea, is in its waning days, this particular prophetic oracle goes forth. He talks about, Jeremiah talks about how it would be uh, that Babylon would rule the nations for 70 years. It's not that the, the uh, dispersion, that the exile of the Judeans would last for 70 years. Some were probably close to 70 years in the exile, but it's that Babylon would be powerful over all the nations. They would reign and rule over all nations for 70 years. But at the end of that period, at the end of that period, signaled by Cyrus the Persian, who would put down 
the Babylonians, uh, Babylonians who would assume the leadership role of the world. Once he comes into authority, he puts forward this proclamation. Uh, by the way, you'll recall that Daniel chapter 9, which many people look to in their study of end times prophecy, is, if you read it in context, Daniel is reading Jeremiah chapter 25, verse 11, or that section, or 29, verse 10 in that section of text, when he gets this understanding. And I think a lot of people would serve themselves better to read it in its original context, particularly when you read that according to Second uh, Chronicles 36, 22, and 23, and Ezra chapter 1, that that was fulfilled. So a lot of people are looking at this and still looking for the 70 weeks and so forth. There was a return, a partial return, mostly Judeans, thanks to the words of this Messiah, but it was not to last. The history of the Judean kingdom would come under attack again and again. Rome in 70 of the common era would once again destroy the temple. Another exile would flow and so forth, flow forth from the beginning from the beginning, even with each successive exile, some remained in the land. Some remained in the land. And then something happened. I want to fast forward. I want to move forward in time. Throughout the ages, the people of Israel and Judah, some of the Judeans came back, and, and it's not a clear division where it's only Judeans. There were some from the northern kingdom who came also uh, and established themselves in the south later in history. But for the most part, most of the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were scattered throughout all nations as corn is sifted through a sieve. Yet not the least grain fell to the ground without God's eyes being on their whereabouts. But something began to happen. Something began to stir. Just as the prophet said it would, in the dispersion, around the year 1880 of the common era, 1880 to 1914, some 60,000 returnees made their way back to the land promised to their fathers. And this was only the beginning. They were following a mandate. The final words of the Hebrew Bible spoken by the Messiah were that all of those who were from God's people let him go up. To go up is a call. Isn't it interesting that the Hebrew Bible ends with an invitation to all of those who are God's people to go back to the land of promise? And that's where the story ends. It's the last word. The last word of the Hebrew Bible happens to be the word of the Messiah. This call to go up began to be answered. Zionism, the birth of Zionism. Herzl, not only Herzl, many others before 
Herzl happens to be the one who most people know about, but there were others, and not all of them were Jewish. There were Christian Zionists. There were people, basically we're talking about people of the book, those who read the prophetic words, those who began to note that the prophecies over and over and over consistently predicted a literal return of a physical Israelite uh, kingdom to the land sworn eternally to a real people, Israel. Not talking about people who, who began to reinterpret things. I'm talking about people who saw the words for the words themselves, and they re re realized that what God said in the prophets could actually come to pass. Israel, by the way, the return of these scattered peoples is one of, if not the most prominent roles, the major themes in all of the Hebrew Bible. Now today, I want to talk about some of the text which establish what I just said, which established that this is the key, that God would ultimately hold true to the oath that he raised his hand and swore to the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would inhabit this land. Yes, they had to maintain a level of obedience in order to stay there. They failed to do that. They were scattered, but the promise of God remains true. The promise of God is that he will bring them back. And we're going to go through some of the texts, some a selection of texts. Look, there are so many more than what I've got in, in my notes today. Uh, we'll talk about more of these in the Zoom call. But I wanted to begin with the man, Jacob. I want to begin with Israel himself. I want to talk about a narrative, and the narrative has Jacob in flight. Jacob is leaving the land. Uh, he's going away to flee from his brother who wants to kill him. So I want to begin in Genesis chapter 28 to tell the story of Israel, Genesis 28, beginning in verse 13. Genesis 28, in verse 13, and it says, now by the way, this is a dream that Jacob has, and behold, Jehovah stood above it. He's standing above a ladder and said, I am Jehovah, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou liest, to thee will I give it, and to thy seed. Your seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. And behold, I am with you and will keep you whithersoever thou goest, will bring thee again into this land, not another land, not Buenos Aires, not America, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. Now this particular passage, it is interesting because while these words are spoken from God to the patriarch, to the person, to the man, Jacob, Israel, uh, at the time he's Jacob, and while the words are spoken to Jacob, there is a clear inference that 
he's speaking not just to Jacob, the man, but to Israel, the people. He tells Jacob, your descendants, your seed will be scattered abroad, the west, the east, the north, the south. But he promises that he's going to bring them back. Even, by the way, when Jacob returns, when he returns to the land after being gone, gone for several years, even his return to the land hints at what is to come in a word, in a word, Mahanaim. Mahanaim. In a word, he describes a prophetic picture of what Israel will look like when that return takes place. Mahanaim means two camps. Look with me at Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. And I want to go to verse 9, Genesis 32 and verse 9. Now, let me, let me begin in verse 1, but I'm going to pick up in 9 in a moment. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God, or the messengers of God, met him. And Jacob said when he saw them, this is God's army, this is God's host. And he called the name of that place Mahanaim. I look down at verse 9. Now, remember, he, he is terrified because uh, he's apprehensive at the least. It says he fears because he's got to meet his brother Esau. Last time he saw Esau, Esau wanted to kill him. Verse 9, and Jacob says, now he's, he's prepared his family with gifts and so forth, and this is a prayer. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, O Jehovah, who said to me, Return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will do thee good. I am not worthy of the least of all the loving kindness and of all the truth which thou showed unto your servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two companies, two camps. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and smite me, the mother with the children." And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good. Make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And then it talks about how he spent a night there. But think about this. Israel is praying to God and saying that God has made him to host, two camps. As he returns to the land, he recognizes that he's in two camps. And so it is in the modern day. The tribes ultimately will see this as we work through the text, represented by two distinct camps. The northern tribes, the house of Israel, Ephraim. The southern tribes, the house of Judah. Israel was forced to leave as was Jacob. When Israel returns, ultimately, according to the prophets, Israel will be represented in two camps. I want to begin with some passages from the prophets, and I'm, I'm only going to, I won't give you all the context. I just want to hit certain passages with specific language 
Go with me to Isaiah chapter 11, beginning in verse 11. Isaiah 11, verse 11, and we're going to go through. You can see on the screen that we've got several passages in Isaiah. Isaiah 11, 11, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord will set his hand again the second time to recover the remnant of his people. They shall remain from Assyria, from Egypt, from Patros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamat, from the islands of the sea. Notice how scattered Israel is. In verse 12, he will set up an ensign for the nations and will assemble the outcast of Israel and gather together the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. The envy also of Ephraim shall depart, and they that vex Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. By the way, this is Hebrew parallelism. Uh, part A equals part B. Maybe we'll get into this uh, later in the Zoom. But where it says in this English translation, they that vex Judah will be cut off, it's not what it says in Hebrew. The vexing ones of Judah will be cut off. There are some of Judah which are vexing Ephraim. How do I know that? Look at the second part. Ephraim shall not envy Judah, and Judah shall not vex Ephraim. Continued, verse 14. They shall uh, fly down upon the shoulder of the Philistines on the west. Together shall they despoil the children of the east. They shall put forth their hand upon Edom and Moab. The children of Ammon shall obey them. This indicates that when this restoration of both of the camps come into the land, they might have some battles with their neighbors, right? And verse 15, And Jehovah will utterly destroy the tongue of the Egyptian sea. With his scorching wind will he wave his hand over the river, smite it into seven streams, and cause men to march over dry shod. Verse 16, There shall be a highway for the remnant of his people that shall remain from Assyria, like as there was for Israel in the day that he came up out of the land of Egypt. What we get throughout the prophets is the restoration, the return of Israel to the land is a repetition, a second exodus, a repetition of the first exodus. Jeremiah 16 uh, ultimately says that this is going to be so great, the second exodus, that the first will not even be spoken of again. So this is a major, uh, major uh, prophetic piece here. Look at Isaiah 14, the next one on our list, Isaiah 14, beginning in verse 1. For Jehovah will have compassion on Jacob and will yet choose Israel and set them in their own land. And the sojourner shall join himself with them, and they shall cleave to the house of Jacob. The peoples shall take them and bring them to their place the house of Israel shall possess them in the land of Jehovah for servants and handmaids, and they shall take them captive, whose captives they were, and they shall rule over their oppressors. So again, we're, we're looking at texts which talk about Israel being restored to their land, not another land, not another people in their land. It says that Israel will be restored to this land. Isaiah chapter 43, next on our list, Isaiah 43, beginning in verse 5. Fear not, for I am with thee. I will bring thy seed from the east, 
and gather thee from the west. I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, keep not back. Bring my sons from far and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone that is called by my name and whom I've created for my glory, whom I have formed, yea, whom I have made. A restoration from all the directions. Remember, Jacob would be scattered abroad, spread abroad. Genesis 28, as early as Genesis 28, we read that. And ultimately, the return will be from the same places. It will be even more miraculous in some ways than the exodus from Egypt. Look at uh, chapter 49, Isaiah 49, and verse 5. Isaiah 49, verse 5. And now saith Jehovah that formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob again to him, that Israel be gathered unto him, for I am honorable in the eyes of Jehovah, and my God is my strength. Yea, he saith, is it too light a thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel? I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. How many times have I heard people ridicule those who look at the servant as a redemptive figure and say, no, 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 the servant is clearly Israel, and it's only Israel. Well, those who say that have not read this passage closely because this passage describes a servant within the servant nation. Yes, Israel is a servant. Most often this comes out when people are trying to interpret Isaiah 53, Most uh, Jewish commentators, and today, most would say, Isaiah 53, the servant, look here, and they'll go through all the text in Isaiah, the servant, the servant, the servant, where it's Israel, 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 but they don't read this one. Listen, formed me from the womb to be a servant to bring Jacob back to him. Jacob is bringing Jacob back? Well, requires a little bit of study, I think. Now, there are other passages in Isaiah that we're not going to go to. Isaiah chapter 60, chapter 61, chapter 66 in places. But now, I want to look at Jeremiah. I've got a lot of text to go through. I want to move into Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 8. Jeremiah chapter 3, I'm sorry, in verse 18. You'll see a list of the passages on the screen. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel. They shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I gave as an inheritance unto your fathers. Again, I want to show there's a lot more in this text. Chapter 3 of Jeremiah has other uh, clues and hints and, and narrative about the return, but I want to focus on the text which seem to indicate that from all the places where they've been scattered, the children of Israel will return to the very land that God gave the fathers. Go with me to chapter 12, Jeremiah chapter 12, and I just want to pick up verse 15. And it will come to pass, after that I have plucked them up, I will return and have compassion on them, and I will bring them again, every man to his heritage and every man to his land. Now look with me at chapter 14 of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 14, and I just want to read 14 and 15. 
Again, there's stuff all around here I want to get into, but not for this class. Jeremiah 14, 14, Jehovah said unto me, the prophets, uh, wait a minute, let me see something, Jeremiah 14, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 16, Jeremiah 16, and I gave the wrong address, 14 and 15, therefore behold days come, saith Jehovah, that it shall no more be said as Jehovah lives that brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as Jehovah lives that brought up the children of Israel from the land of the north, from all the countries whither he had driven them, and I will bring them again into their land that I gave unto their fathers. Jeremiah 23. I'm just going through quite a few because I want to establish a couple of points. Verse 3, And I will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries whither I have driven them, and I will bring them again to their folds, they shall be fruitful and multiply. Now look down at verse 7. This is the same language, by the way, as chapter 16, verse 14 and 15. It says, Therefore, behold, verse 7, Days come, saith Jehovah, that they shall no more say as Jehovah lives, who brought up the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt, but as Jehovah lives, who brought up and led the seed of the house of Israel out of the north country, and from all the countries whither I had driven them, and they shall dwell in their own land. So great is this second exodus of Israel, bringing Israel back to the land God promised to the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So great is this that no one will say, hey, you remember the exodus from Egypt? It's not going to even come to mind because of this exodus. Why? Because that brought Israel out of one country. They were all together. This exodus brings Israel from the west and the east and the north and the south. From every nation, they'll be coming back. Look at chapter 24 of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 24, uh, verse 6. <clears throat> for I will set my eyes upon them for good, and I will bring them again to this land, and I'll build them and not pull them down, and I'll plant them and not pluck them up. And I will give them a heart to know me, for I am Jehovah. They shall be my people, and I'll be their God. For they shall return to me with their whole heart. Some of you will recognize that as Deuteronomic language, very similar to what we would find in Deuteronomy, and that is the case. Uh, but in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 29, go there next. Dude, I'm sorry, Jeremiah Chapter 29, I just, I'm anxious to go to Deuteronomy, but Jeremiah 29, verse 10. For thus says Jehovah, after 70 years are accomplished for Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith Jehovah, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you hope in your latter end. Ye shall call upon me, Ye shall go and pray unto me, and will I will hearken unto you. You shall seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And I'll be found of you, saith Jehovah. And I will turn again your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations, from all the places wherein I've driven you, saith Jehovah. And I will bring you again into this place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. Very clear, another Deuteronomic language uh, that we see here. 
But the, again, the key is that when this group begins to search for God with all their heart, God's going to do a miraculous thing and begin to draw them back. This isn't just, uh, this isn't just, this is real. In other words, it's not just someone's dream about, you know, I wonder if it's really talking about the land of Israel or, or could we say that that means that we're going to be restored to another place. No, it's very, very clear. He says, I will bring you again to the place that from which I caused you to go into captivity. Now, chapter 30, all of chapter 30 is part of this restoration. So it's hard for me to, to go through and pick just a few verses, but let, let me try. Verse 3, For lo, days come, saith Jehovah, that I will turn again the captivity of my people Israel and Judah, says Jehovah. I'll cause them return to the land that I gave to their fathers, and they shall possess it. That's pretty clear. Not to another land, not to another land. He says, to the land that I gave to their fathers, see? Now look down at verse 10. <clears throat> and look, read the whole chapter later, but verse 10. Therefore fear thou not, O Jacob, my servant, saith Jehovah, neither be dismayed, O Israel, for lo, I'll save you from afar and thy seed from the land of their captivity, and Jacob shall return and shall be quiet at ease, and none shall make him afraid. In this nice verse 11, For I am with thee, saith Jehovah, to save thee, for I will make a full end of all the nations, whither I have scattered thee, but I will not make a full end of thee. I will correct you in measure, and will in no wise leave you unpunished. Look down at verse 18. Thus saith Jehovah, Behold, I will turn again the captivity of Jacob's tents and have compassion on his dwelling place, and the city shall be builded upon its own hill, and the palace shall be inhabited after its own manner. This is the thing that I want people to see is what the early Zionists begin to see and what some, and I'm talking some Christian Zionists too, some of these early, very literalist, Bible-reading people said this is not anything that is other than literal. This is talking about the literal seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob going back to the very land that God gave the fathers. Now, there were people writing hymns about Beulah land and walking streets of gold where previous people had interpreted some of these texts as, you know, as representing some spiritual interpretation. But these are just straight-up literal readings. And it brought, it began to bring, the people began to, to move back. Now in Jeremiah, as we work through chapter 30 and 31, in chapter 31, let's look, uh, let's look at chapter 31, verse 7. And uh, again, wonderful material, the whole thing, but just go to verse 7. For thus says Jehovah, sing with gladness for Jacob and shout for the chief of the nations, publish ye Praise ye and say, O Jehovah, save thy people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I will bring them from the north country and gather them from the uttermost parts of the earth. And with them, the blind and the lame and the woman with child and her that travaileth with child together, a great company shall they return thither. They shall come with weeping, with supplications will I lead them. I'll cause them to walk by rivers of water in a straight way wherein they shall not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. 
Ephraim represents the northern kingdom. God calls Ephraim his son. In Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 and 23, God refers to Israel as his son. In a way, this material is descriptive of the second coming of God's son. That's right, the second coming of God's son. The first time God's son went into the land is after the exodus from Egypt. The second coming of God's son is described right here. And the son of God is Israel. The son of God is Ephraim, the servant. Now, look with me at verse 10. Hear the word of Jehovah, O ye nations, and declare it in the isles afar off, and say, He that scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. For Jehovah hath ransomed Jacob and redeemed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. And he goes on and talks about their coming, their singing. I, I mean, it's hard not to read the whole thing. Look down at verse 15. Thus says Jehovah, a voice is heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, for she refuses to be comforted for her children because they are not. This verse is set off by white spaces. Christianity understood this as, according to the writer of Matthew, as uh, something to do with Herod murdering the children. But in context, has nothing to do with children being murdered. The children are not murdered at all. In fact, the next verse tells us that that's not true about the murdering of the children, at least in context. Verse 16, thus says Jehovah, refrain your voice from weeping, your eyes from tears. Your work shall be rewarded, saith Jehovah, and they shall come again from the land of your enemy. And there is hope for your latter end, saith Jehovah. Your children, the woman who's weeping's children, shall come again to their own border. Very interesting. And there is hope for thy latter end, saith Jehovah. Your children shall come again to their own border. As we work through chapter 31, you just you read through all of this. I'm going to skip over one very important verse I'm going to come back to later. But chapter 31, verse 30 through 33 in Hebrew, or 31 through 34 in English, is a new covenant is prophesied. Behold, days are coming, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, though I was a husband to them. This particular, everything in chapter 30 and 31 leads up to a new covenant with Israel bringing them into the land. Remember the first coming, the first coming of Israel, the first covenant was that God would be their God and they would get a land. It's only fitting that to receive the land the second time, they would also have a covenant, a new covenant. Now, a lot of people say, well, I think that that means renewed covenant. No, it doesn't. It means new. It's a new covenant. It's not like the covenant that I made with their fathers when I took them by the hand. It is not like the covenant that I made with their fathers. It is not. You get it. We'll talk about that later. What we do now is go to chapter 32, though, Jeremiah chapter 32, and we're going to pick up at verse 37. 
Jeremiah 32, 37, Behold, I will gather them out of all the countries whither I've driven them in my anger and in my wrath and in great indignation, and I will bring them again unto this place, very specific, and I will cause them to dwell safely. They shall be my people, and I will be their God. And I'll give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and of their children after them. And I'll make an everlasting covenant, we just talked about that, with them. And I will not turn away from following them to do them good, and I will put my fear in their hearts that they may not depart from me. Yea, I will rejoice over them to do them good, and I will plant them in this land assuredly with all my heart and with all my soul. Those of you who've been with me a while know this passage. We've talked about it over and over. The one thing that God says he would do with all his heart and with all his soul is bring Israel from the nations and plant them in that land that he swore to their fathers to give them. Someone said one time that everything God does is with all his heart and all his soul. Well, that might be. But the only thing in Scripture described as God doing with all his heart, with all his soul, is putting Israel back in that land. And I tell you one thing, anybody who thinks that they'll be uprooted after God did that and God is doing that is wrong. Is wrong. Now, look with me at chapter 50. Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 4. In those days, in those days and in that time, <clears throat> saith Jehovah, the children of Israel shall come, they and the children of Judah together. They shall go on their way weeping and shall seek Jehovah their God. They shall inquire concerning Zion with their faces turned toward it, saying, Come ye and join yourself to Jehovah in, here we go again, that everlasting covenant that shall not be forgotten. I love this passage. It's one of my favorite passages in the Hebrew Bible. The restoration will go like this. The restoration, the people who've been scattered throughout all nations, who've lost their identity, who no longer know who they are, will come to themselves, if you will. They'll wake up. Deuteronomy 30 says that when all these things come upon you, the blessing and the curses, and you call them to mind, you return to your heart, literally in Hebrew, uh, among the nations where you've been scattered, you're going to make a return. And when you make a return, here's the way it looks. The people are going to be drawn toward, they're facing Zion. It says your faces are turned toward it, and they'll say, excuse me, where's Zion? Can you tell me where Zion is? And someone says, well, yeah, you're going the right way. Just keep going. It's right there. You're walking straight to it. Because they're being drawn spiritually to the restoration because God is calling his children home. Ezekiel. I've got several passages in Ezekiel. Open up to Ezekiel and chapter 11. Now, I've given you several verses, but I'm just going to read 11 and verse 17. You'll see I have on the page 14 through 21. Verse 17, therefore say, thus says the Lord Jehovah, I will gather you from the peoples and assemble you out of the countries where you've been scattered, and I will give you the land of Israel. Pretty clear, right? Now look at the next one on our list, 
Ezekiel chapter 20. A great chapter. Read the whole thing in your own time, but look at verse 34. You'll see I have 34 through 38, but look at verse 34, chapter 20. And I will bring you out from the peoples, will gather you out of the countries wherein ye are scattered with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with wrath poured out. Goes on to talk about how he's going to bring the children into the wilderness. Sounds familiar. It's the second exodus. He's going to bring you out with an arm, outstretched arm, same language as the initial exodus, right? Out of Egypt. This out of all, he's going to bring them into the wilderness and hold a rod out. All right, look at chapter 34, <clears throat> Ezekiel chapter 34. Very powerful condemnation on the uh, shepherds. Look at verse 13, Ezekiel 34, verse 13. You want to read, this is, this is why, like you'll see a lot of religious uh, people, people in the Torah faith movement or Tanakh-based, they, uh, they're very critical and they pick on and they're hateful to Christians, even though just a year, two years ago, they were singing songs to Jesus in their church. Then all of a sudden, they become wise and they've, they've uh, modified their faith and they just start kicking and, and criticizing those who are right where they were just yesterday. So this is the reason I think people need to read Ezekiel 34 so they'll stop being jerks and recognize what God says. Okay, verse 13, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I'll feed them upon the mountains of Israel by the watercourses and in all the watered, uh, all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and upon the mountains of the height of Israel shall be their fold. There they shall lie down in a good fold, and on fat pasture shall they feed upon the mountains of Israel. Verse 15, I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. I will cause them to lie down, saith the Lord Jehovah. And I will seek that which was lost, and will bring back that which was driven away, and will bind up that which was broken, will strengthen that which was sick. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I'll feed them in justice. Bring it on. I want to see the fat and the strong and those who are abusive to the sheep. I want to see them shut up. So this is a very powerful passage. Read all of Ezekiel 34 today in your spare time. Look at chapter 36 of Ezekiel, Ezekiel 36. And let's just pick up two verses, verse 24 first, uh, 36, 24. I will take you from among the nations and gather you out of all the countries and bring you into your own land. Pretty clear, right? Now look down at verse 28. By the way, in between, it's all that good stuff about a new heart and so forth. Verse 28, ye, ye, plural, shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. And now we go to Ezekiel 37. <clears throat> Ezekiel 37, two parables, and verses 1 through 14 deal with the valley of dry bones. And in this picture, Ezekiel is taken out into an overlook where he sees dead bodies, uh, uh, skeletons, bones everywhere, and God asks him, can they live? And Ezekiel's response is, you know, Lord. And he's told to prophesy 
and you'll recall that the bones come together. And in this vision of the dry bones, the bodies that come together, they're shaking and a rattling, and as these come together, you, you can tell that it's, and then skin comes upon and so but they're lifeless. So the idea that we get is that the first thing that happens is these tribes, if you will, they come together, but they lack the spirit. And what, what God tells Ezekiel ultimately is that these bones have come together, but it will not be until the spirit fills them that they stand on their feet. So if people want to know why the restoration hasn't been completed yet, it's because there's a bunch of lifeless bodies coming together, still waiting on the spirit to animate. Now, the second part of this, the second part, the second parable, which tells a very similar story, it's also about the restoration of the two houses. This one is about two sticks. And Seth put this introduction together, you saw when, when the video came. It's one of the most important prophetic passages that deals with the restoration of Israel and Judah. And if you'll notice, the, the two sticks, one is Judah and those associated with Judah. The other stick has on Ephraim and those tribes that are associated with Ephraim. The, the tribe of the stick of Ephraim is put on Judah, and the two become one in God's hand. The interesting thing is that the interpretation is given for you that Judah is already in the land, you see. And, and Joseph, Ephraim, is put on top of that. And the two become one in God's hand, which in this parable, in this prophecy of the two sticks, the hand of God is the land. It says it in those very words. Again, Ezekiel 37, read it all on your own today. Now, one thing about Ezekiel 37 is that at Masada, it was one of the texts, a scroll of Ezekiel containing uh, chapter 37 was found at Masada. Every time I go there, when I'm in Israel and I go to Masada, I think about the end, the horrible end. But there on that place was a prophecy which predicted that they would come back to that very land. And I had to wonder if anybody on the night before the breach was made brought that up. The book of Hosea, the prophet Hosea, Hosea is one of the early prophets. He's preaching or prophesying to the northern kingdom of Israel. His life is made to be an example of what's to happen to the tribes. He marries a harlot to represent that God's bride, Israel, predominantly speaking, uh, at least in Hosea, the early chapters, he's talking mostly about the northern kingdom. But he has this harlot wife, Gomer, and together they have three children. The three children's names are Jezreel, Lo-Ruchama, and Lo-Ami, which means God will scatter, no mercy, 
and not my people. Israel would be scattered throughout all the nations, the northern tribes. They would not receive mercy. And ultimately, they would be considered not my people, lo ami. They would lose their identity. It would become part of the nations, if you will. Over and over, though, throughout this book, beginning in chapter 1, verses 10 and 11, it says that though they're many in number, ultimately they'll come back. And over and over in Hosea, that is the story. Right, read the whole book of Hosea today, too, in your own time. Look with me at the book of Amos. You might not get all this reading done, by the way. I know that. Uh, but try. Amos, I want you to go to verse chapter 9 and verse 14. Amos 9, 14. And I will bring back the captivity of my people Israel, and they shall build the waste cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and drink the wine thereof, and they shall also make gardens and eat the fruit of them, and I will plant them upon their land. They shall no more. Hear this. Hear this, Hamas. Hear this, Palestinian Authority. Hear this, Syria. Hear this, Lebanon. Hear this, Iran. I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be plucked up out of their land which I have given them, saith Jehovah thy God. Go with me to Zephaniah. Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 19. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all them that afflict thee, and I will save that which is lame and gather that which was driven away, and I will make them a praise and a name whose shame hath been in all the earth. At that time will I bring you in, and at that time will I gather you, for I will make you a name and a praise among all the people of the earth when I bring back your captivity before your very eyes, saith Jehovah. A couple more passages. Go with me to Zechariah. Zechariah 8 beginning in verse 7. Zechariah, Zechariah, I always say Zechariah. Zechariah 8 and verse 7. Thus saith Jehovah of hosts, Behold, I will save my people from the east country and from the west country, and I will bring them and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem and they shall be my people and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. Again, God's going to save his people from all the directions into which they've been scattered. One more passage in Zechariah chapter 10. Zechariah 10, beginning in verse 6. And I will strengthen the house of Judah, and I will save the house of Joseph, and I will bring them back, for I have mercy upon them, and they shall be as though I had not cast them off. For I am Jehovah their God, and will hear them, and they of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their hearts shall rejoice as through wine. Yea, their children shall see it and rejoice. Their hearts shall be glad in Jehovah. I will hiss for them and gather them, for I have redeemed them, and they shall increase as they have increased." 
and I will sow them, sow them among the peoples, and they shall remember me in far countries. They shall live with their children and shall return. I'll bring them again also out of the land of Egypt and gather them out of Assyria. I'll bring them into the land of Gilead and Lebanon and place until place shall not be found for them. And he will pass through the sea of affliction and will smite the waves of the sea and all the depths of the Nile shall dry up and the pride of Assyria shall be brought down and the scepter of Egypt shall depart. And I will strengthen them in Jehovah and they shall walk up and down in his name, saith Jehovah. Powerful passage. Sounds again a lot like the Exodus. Water drying up. By the way, where it says that he's going to bring the children of Israel back, there are going to be so many that there won't be room for them, which reminds me of Isaiah 49, 20. We're not going to go to that right now, but think about that. If you've ever been to Israel, there's a lot of open room now, but can you imagine where people are saying, there is not enough room, we're going to have to spill over, have to take some of this other place. God gave the patriarchs, Jacob, Israel, a dream. It's a dream. And in this dream, he said that Israel would be scattered to the west and the east and the north and the south. But he also said that in that scattered he would be with them. Uh, Ezekiel 11 talks about how God is a little sanctuary for those who are, been, who are dispersed. But God says, I'll bring you back to this land where you were before, where your fathers were, this land, this very land, a physical land. And so it happened not just to Jacob, but to Israel and not just the man, but to the nation who came forth from his loins. The very people of Israel were scattered. And in that dispersion, the story has always been the same. They will remember me in far-off countries. People have sung in the exile and praised God and sought to go about a normal life among the nations, among the Gentiles. Something inside is calling Israel to go back, to receive the promise sworn in an oath with an uplifted hand. And they can't find true peace and happiness in the nations where they find themselves. And I hope that I'm wrong but the more I watch the anti-Semitic behavior among the nations where the known descendants of Israel have been scattered, the more concerned I am. But with this hopeful thought, go up, return. If, 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 you're Jew, if you are among God's people, if you're Jewish, go home. Go to Israel. Go to the land promised. And some might say, well, who are you to say that? I'm someone who's reading the text. You know how many non-Jews said this and paved the way for Israel to fulfill the prophecies? This is what's needed. 
They can't be happy, and it's going to get worse. Listen to this. Go with me to Psalm 126. Psalm 126. When Jehovah brought back those that returned to Zion, we were like unto them that dream. Then was our mouth filled with laughter, our tongue with singing, and then said they among the nations, Jehovah has done great things for them. Jehovah has done great things for us, wherefore we are glad. Turn again our captivity, O Jehovah, as the streams in the south. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with joy, bringing his sheaves with him. I happen to know two people who made Aliyah in the past month. I'm telling you, I predict that more and more and more people who belong to God's people are going to hear deep inside, not just this ear, but in their heart of hearts. They're going to hear the call of the Messiah who says, all of you who are among his people, let him go up. It began with a dream that God gave to Jacob. Psalm 126 says that when the people go back, it will be recognized as a dream. But go with me to Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 26. Because after laying out, after this is God speaking, if you look, verse 23 says, Thus says Jehovah of hosts. Listen, yet again shall they use this speech in the land of Judah and the cities thereof when I shall, this is God, bring again their captivity. Jehovah bless thee, O habitation of righteousness, O mountain of holiness, and Judah and all the cities thereof shall dwell therein together, the husbandmen and they that go out with the flocks. For I have satiated the weary soul and every sorrowful soul have I replenished upon this I awaked, and behold, my sleep was sweet to me. The question becomes, is God revealing? Is God speaking? Is God revealing that this is his dream? He gave a glimpse of it to Jacob. The people who return realize that it's a dream. In modern times, Theodore Herzl related a practical way to bring about the dream in his book, Der Judenstadt. If you haven't read it, I highly recommend it. In short, he said, if you will it, it's not a dream. In other words, bring the dream into reality. The time to awaken is now the time to declare again the words of Messiah has come again. Here they are, red-lettered. Whoever is among you of all his people, may Jehovah his God be with him and let him go up. Shabbat Shalom.
Shavua Tov. See me in the Zoom. Join me in the Zoom.